Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we rejoin Molly Squidpidge and Archie on their mission to rescue Philip Toomers from the Guild's interrogation chambers. Having organised a parade as a diversionary tactic, they push on towards the Guild Enclave. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of the parade, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the first annual Malifaux Parade honouring Dr. Douglas McMorning and his contributions to medical science and experimental surgery. Come out and see the good doctor's finest creations shambling through town. But watch out, those at the front of the crowd may get splattered. You won't want to miss it. Standing just close enough to see the doors of the Enclave, Molly and her entourage, she'd always wanted an entourage, waited in the shadows. Archie licked at yet another ice cream cone. The vendor had not been happy to see them twice in a day. As Molly poked her head out of the shadows, she heard the distinctive sound of boots slamming onto the street. She dug back when she saw a shock of red hair, followed by the distinctive death marshal dusters and coffins. As the sound of their boots and cursing subsided, she looked back at Archie and whispered, They took the bait! Happy that for once things seemed to be working out for her, Molly slipped from the shadows, following behind the troop of death marshals at a safe distance. Archie followed behind, obedient, loyal, and sweet. It didn't take them long before they'd reached Crescent Street, which was much more like a back alley than a maintained road. More garbage than cobblestone, the street was poorly lit and abandoned by all but the rats and the smell of old blood. The street existed in contrast to the rest of the downtown district, as though the whole road could be swept under a rug to be forgotten forever. Building 1391 was nestled between two small, nondescript storehouses, both of which appeared identical and abandoned. The only difference between 1391 and its neighbours was that there was a person sitting in front of it. On the stoop of their destination, an out-of-shape younger gentleman slept in a warped and peeling rocking chair. If it wasn't for the ram pin on his label, Molly wouldn't have even guessed that he was Guild. As they reached the doors of the building 1391, Molly waved at the guard on duty. Oh, hello! The little gasser she'd released began to drift away. She snatched at its hand again. He woke with a start, nearly falling out of his rocking chair. 
He blinked repeatedly, unable to find the words, hoping it was the distortion of the sleep in his eyes that altered what was before him. Say hello, Archie. Archie shook a tentacle at the guard, who paled. I have a question for you, Molly informed the man. Sweat beaded on his forehead, and he began to stand. Molly blinked. Are we scary, Archie? Archie shrugged. No, you're absolutely right. We're not scary at all. The guard squeaked and began to move faster. Before he could leave the door open, a tentacle wrapped around his shoulder and brought him back face to face with Molly. Molly gave him what she thought was a reassuring smile. He whimpered. Tell me, do you have any pets? Molly leaned forward, making sure to smile even bigger and more reassuringly. He began to gasp for air. Put your head between your knees. I hear that helps, Molly said. She furrowed her brow. No pets, huh? How about family? He groaned and bent over, facing the ground. I'm just trying to put you at ease, Molly informed him. Oh, would you like some ice cream? Archie held the cone away from the guard. Look at him, he's having a difficult day, Archie. Archie frowned, hesitated, took one last lick and offered his ice cream to the guard. A big melted drop splashed on his filthy boots, improving them. No, thank you, the guard stammered. With a sigh of relief, Archie stuffed the entire cone in his mouth. See? You can talk, Molly cried. The guard grimaced. I just need to know a few things and then we'll move on. Molly almost lost her grip on one of the little gases and became distracted with getting it under control again. It appeared they liked to wander. What can you tell me about the inside of this place? The guard shook his head. Hmm, Molly frowned. How about what they do here? I can't, the guard moaned. Any death marshals in there? Or have they all left to watch the parade? The guard let out a sob. All we've done is ask you some questions and offer you ice cream. Molly raised her eyebrows at the guard. Archie grunted with impatience. The guard looked up at them, his jaw set in sudden determination, even though his knees trembled and his hands shook. Are you going to help us now? Molly asked. No, the guard's voice wobbled. You're undead scum. Molly gasped. That's just rude. Scum? Really? Scum, the guard spat. Reaching his hands out, Archie picked up the man over his head and shook him aggressively. The guard's limbs flailed like a ragdoll. Archie, Molly scolded. With a sharp exhale, Archie dropped the guard then patted the man's head with a large hand. The sound of crunching cartilage and the guard's scream made the large zombie step back in surprise. You broke my dose, the guard cried, clutching at the blood gushing from his face. Sighing, Molly held the little gases out to Archie. Hold these. She knelt next to the guard, pulled his hands from his face and studied his nose. Would you look at that? You're right. It is broken. I do. I can fix it. 
Do! He scooted away, shaking his head, droplets of blood flying from his face. Molly frowned and held up her hands. I really need your help. Do! Dever! Archie growled and leaned forward, the two little gases floating less than ominously next to him. The guard squeaked and brought his hands up. I'll help! I'll help! Molly clapped her hands together. Fantastic! We'll help each other! She crouched down in front of him and swatted his hands away as he tried to fend her off. Stop it! I'm helping! The guard went limp, defeated by her tenacity. That personality trait had served her well when she was a journalist, too. Hopefully you had a deviated septum and this little breakage fixed that right up. Maybe you can sleep without snoring, right? <laughs> With a crunching and snapping sound, Molly realigned his nose. He howled. Molly chuckled. So dramatic. It's just a little cartilage. She tilted her head and squinted her eyes. I think it looks better now. Tears streamed from the guard's face as he cradled his nose. It feels crooked. Nonsense. Molly stared at the guard. Now it's your turn. He shivered as her glazed-over eyes drilled into him. Within a matter of minutes, words rushed out of the man's mouth, a near-incoherent babbling of phrases and directions. Somewhere in the mix of explaining, he would have loved to have the ice cream, but he had a sensitive stomach that this was only his third day on the job and other panicked nonsense. He told them why Building 1391 existed in the first place. Interrogating off-site was a request from the Governor-General himself. It was tough to concentrate with all the screaming. He agreed with Marlowe, praising him, and then continued to ramble off about where they were keeping Philip, where Lady Justice and the new judge were off to, how many soldiers were still in the building, and even described the layout of the place in vivid detail. It was incredible what he knew with having been on the job for just a few days. See? That wasn't so hard, Molly grinned. Archie gave the man a grateful smile and patted him on the back, with a little too much force. The guard dropped to the ground like a flattened pancake. You knocked him unconscious, Archie, Molly said as she moved the collapsed man back into his rocking chair, making sure that she tilted his head so the blood pouring from his nose didn't stain his clothes. An apologetic groan escaped Archie's mouth. Oh well, Molly shrugged. It happens. Luck isn't on everyone's side. I'd wager that we'll see him as one of McMorning's creations one day. We can only hope for a second chance like that, huh? I'll call him Fritz. He looks like a Fritz, doesn't he? Archie nodded. All right, let's go. Molly put two fingers in her mouth and sounded an ear-piercing whistle. Stomping footsteps answered her call. A creature with multiple heads and mismatched legs, held together with Dr. McMorning's distinct stitches, bounded toward them. Gaping wounds, scales, feathers, spines and fur covered the miscreation. One of its heads roared, its fangs bared. Another head screeched, its beak agape. It clawed eagerly at the air with a hoof and a talon. Take down the door, please, Buttercup, Molly shouted at the monster. Buttercup's snake-like tail twitched in delight, pumping its leathery wings, 
It increased its speed and slammed into 1391's surprisingly heavy doors. Under Buttercup's assault, the doors bowed inward and crashed down against the polished floors, leaving deep scratches and dents. A guild sergeant stood just inside the now-open doorway, coffee in hand, staring in surprise. An awkward silence hung in the air. Hello! Molly waved at the sergeant. He dropped his drink and pulled out his peacebringer. Oh, do you have to? Molly frowned. The sergeant repeatedly pulled back on the hammer of his gun. With a sad flutter of her hand, Molly said, Sick him, Buttercup. Buttercup leapt. The sergeant screamed, but one of his wild shots managed to hit Buttercup square in the chest, throwing its flying leap off target. If the footsteps Molly heard were any indication, the sound of the shot had summoned some of the sergeant's friends. Things were going too smoothly anyway. Buttercup readied itself for another lunge. Despite having a three-headed undead monster at her side, Molly didn't like her odds. The guild were dangerous business. This wasn't supposed to be a fight. It was a break-in. Molly had to think quickly. Her journalistic instincts kicked in. Sometimes all it took was a random question on the spot to make someone stumble. Excuse me, she yelled out, raising her hand as though it had a pen. Althea Pigeon here with the Malifaux Tatler. Are you willing to go on record about the treatment of prisoners here in this establishment? This will just take a second. Right as he snapped his head around to see what moron was asking questions like that, at a time like this, Buttercup leapt. Within a few seconds, there was nothing left but bloodied limbs and a shattered skull. What? Cat got your tongue? She laughed, then started to pet Buttercup's lion head. Good boy. With a purr, Buttercup rolled over, tongues lolling, and exposing its fur and scale-covered belly. Molly rubbed the giant tummy with both hands and cooed. Ooh, such a good little science experiment. You are. Yes, you are. Hard, a voice Molly immediately disliked commanded. She and Buttercup both looked up at the guard. Buttercup growled. You're right. Go get her. Molly took a step back. Buttercup pounced. With a beak clamped around one arm and a lion's maw around the other, the third head was free to close around the guard's neck. Things are getting awfully messy. Oh well, at least they didn't suffer. Molly rested her hand on one of Buttercup's heads. This way, she sang, and began strolling down the dark hallway. The little gases squirmed out of Archie's grip and slipped their little hands into Molly's. Some air escaped out of each of them. She smiled. Her mood soured when she entered the next room and saw several guild guards, guns and blades at the ready. Clearly, not enough of the guild were thrilled about seeing the parade. This is what she'd hoped to avoid, but she always came prepared. With a sharp poke to toot, its bloated stomach ruptured, filling the room with a noxious and obscuring gas. Most began coughing and retching, but a few covered their faces in time before they were affected. With their free hands, all who were able started firing at Molly and her companions. Buttercup roared and charged at them, stomping, slashing and goring its tail slashing back and forth. The few dealing with the gas in the immediate area fell under its claws, but the others filled it with bullets. 
Molly thought about joining the fray, but quickly realized that the best thing she could do was use this opportunity as a distraction to grab Philip and get out. A pang of guilt ran through her chest as she grabbed Poot and Archie and ran out of the room. The pain screams and roars echoed in the hall behind her, then suddenly stopped. There were no more sounds that followed. Good boy, Molly whispered to herself. As they moved further through Building 1391, she thought of Nanny leading her colourful company through the streets, followed by death marshals and Lady Justice herself. The thought made her smile. Tell me what you remember of your life before undeath, the investigator said. She perched on a wooden chair across the table from where they'd propped Philip up. In front of her were stacks and stacks of loose notes, jotted by previous interrogators. This was her fifth visit. She wasn't getting anything of substance out of him, so she decided to try a different angle. He grinned. You know... Things were better back then. People were better. Food was better. Having intestines helped with enjoying food back then, though. Do you have any idea what it's like to eat without a stomach? It's a mess. Do you miss being alive? The investigator raised one eyebrow, her patience waning in record time. Obviously not, Philip scoffed. Lost a lot of weight since then. He waited a moment smirked and winked. Why, when I was a child, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow carrying the stone tablets we used instead of the paper you young'uns can get away with today. She coughed and muttered under her breath. What? Philip demanded. I said that sounds like a tough place to, you know, grow up, she replied. It was. I think this would be a good time to nod, but as you can see, I don't have a neck, he informed her. It was also a better place. Mm-hmm. Philip continued to talk about things he couldn't necessarily remember but wanted to believe anyhow. After a time, he concluded with, And that's how I ended up in Malifaux. Is that so? Yes. Weren't you listening? Philip groaned. I was an academic. Or maybe a luggage porter. He paused. No, definitely an elite soldier of fortune. Those are very different things, the investigator lazily observed. Well, I don't think I could have survived Kythera if I weren't at least one of those things, the head snapped at her, condescension dripping from his tone. You went to Kythera? she asked, looking up at him and scribbling in her notebook. Of course. If Philip could have puffed out his chest, he would have. You haven't. Maybe the next time you're on holiday, take a little trip down there and tell me everything, she asked, pen hovering over the page. Was he finally about to spill something of substance? Oh, it was horrific. He tried to make his expression solemn. And? Awful. Even worse than my childhood. Why, I... She sighed. You don't remember anything, do you? I didn't say that, Philip grimaced. Never mind, the investigator said. How about you tell me about... She peered at her notebook. The Gorgon's Tear. 
Oh, the Gorgon's tear. Philip's face brightened again. It is quite the artifact. A lovely thing. I can see it now. Yep, absolutely lovely. Though not as lovely as my old mum. Mm-hmm. She looked back down at her notebook, already tired of the conversation. Now Gorgon's tear is quite the important little rock. You know, I hear they found it the first time the breach opened, Philip said, the words tumbling out of his mouth. Is that right? The investigator looked up again in interest. Philip smirked. Why is it so important, Mr. Toomers? Have you seen it? I don't think so. If you had, you'd just know. Because it gives life to those who need it most. Like us, Philip scoffed. Why, without it, Molly wouldn't be here. I might not be here. And Nanny certainly wouldn't be around to push me in that pram. And really, I think that's the most important part. Of course it is, the investigator murmured. She said, Where is it now? Philip paused for a moment. He looked as though he was listening for something. Where is the Gorgon's tear now? She repeated. With an arrogant grin, Philip told her, Oh, that old thing? Let me think. Let me think. There are so many places it could be right now. Malifaux's a big place, you know. Could be frozen up there in the Ten Peaks. Could be in the belly of some young gup. But you know what? It's not. It's in Seamus' head. What? Oh, yeah. Right up in the thwump. Shoved it right in that noggin. Thing's no pebble, neither. Between you and me, I still think there's some breathing room for it up in that brain of his, though. Know what I mean? Ha. Then again, it could have fallen out by now. Maybe rolled its way down to the sewers. Do they have gups down there? Probably. I'm sure there's plenty of stuff for them to eat. Roaches, rats, little kittens, other gups. Know what food I miss the most, though? Jellies. You get yourself some good bread. Not that cheap stuff, no. You've got to make sure that the crust is top-notch. And you can put all kinds of jellies on them. Apricot, strawberry, grape. The investigator's mouth turned up a tiny bit as she wrote down almost everything he said. I appreciate all your cooperation today, Mr. Toomers. Well, I do like to help, he said with a flippant roll of his eyes. Besides, today's my last day here. How do you figure that? Molly and her miscreants found their way through a few more hallways, each one darker and quieter than the last. Eventually, she found a plain black door with a piece of paper taped to it, with the words, Do not disturb, interrogation in session, scribbled across it. She half-heartedly twisted the doorknob, expecting it to be locked, but the door swung open, revealing a small metal-plated room with a large steel door. Molly briefly looked at herself in the reflection, combing her hair with her fingers and checking to make sure she didn't have anything in her teeth. Archie looked at himself as seemingly the first time, trying to wrap his head around the image mimicking his every move. 
Before Molly could explain to Archie how a mirror works, she heard a familiar voice muffled behind the steel door. There was only one person in the world that could ramble on about jellies for that long. She knew she was in the right place. That's as good a cue as any? She nodded at Archie. With a low groan, Archie swung his three fists. The steel door crumpled under his strength like wet newspaper. Molly peered around Archie's bulk. Hi, Philip. I heard you talking all the way down the hall. I just followed your beautiful voice. The investigator leapt to her feet, dropping her notebook with a thud. See? I told you, Philip crowed. As the investigator tried to rush past Molly and escape, Archie reached from behind and slammed his tentacle into her body. He squeezed past the table and chairs, walking over the woman's prone form, crunching and smashing her into the floor. Great timing, Philip told them. She was really starting to bore me. He narrowed his eyes. Who's that? With a flourish, Molly gestured at the patchwork behemoth and the little gasser. You don't know Archie? Didn't you meet him last time? Well, this is Archie. Archie, Philip, Philip, Archie. He likes ice cream. I like ice cream, Philip said. Then you two will get along just swimmingly. And this is Poot. Unfortunately, I don't think Poot will be with us for much longer. I would shrug if I could, Philip replied, and rolled his eyes in as dramatic a fashion as possible. Molly smiled. I missed you, Philip. They listen to me, you know, the talking head pouted. Swooping down, Molly put the investigator's notebook in her pocket. With a free hand, she scooped Philip up and walked back out the door, avoiding the puddle of gore that was once the interrogator. Archie made quick work of any opposition as they headed back toward the front door. So, who's Poot? Philip asked, eyeing the chubby gremlin with suspicion. He's my new friend from McMorning's lab, Molly informed him as she dodged the occasional spray of blood. More friends, huh? Philip grimaced. And what of our old friends? You find a new nanny? Severed limbs flew through the air as guild guards wailed. Molly ducked. Nanny is on a well-deserved holiday. What about this march I heard people talking about when they weren't talking to me? Philip prodded. Was that your doing, too? Molly nodded and stepped around several corpses. Gunshots echoed through the hallways ahead. I organized the parade. Philip batted his eyes. Well, if that isn't the kindest thing I've ever heard, you shouldn't have. For me? Well, um... Molly gave an awkward laugh and looked away. No, for Dr. McMorning. Why him? Philip demanded. Philip, Molly groaned, think about it. Do you think I could distract most of the guild by throwing a parade for you? You were already here. They wouldn't care. Hmm. Besides, Dr. McMorning is a big name right now, and everyone's all up in a huff and puff about finding him, Molly added. I had good reasons. Not good enough. Molly frowned. I had to find you, Philip. I wasn't in any danger, Miss Squidpidge, Philip snapped. Didn't you miss me? I made you a hat. Not another one, Philip groaned. It wasn't all bad in there, you know. 
they were just starting to be great conversationalists. You think Nanny is going to start spouting off about her life experiences, new recipes, the weather? I don't think so. Don't be so dramatic, Molly grumbled. Archie's always willing to listen. Archie looked back at her, a guard with a broken neck dangling from his huge hands. His eyes went wide and he blinked, then smiled. Yes, we can get some on the way home. Molly gave him an indulgent smile. With a grin, Archie returned to his murder. I want ice cream too, Philip shouted. You can get ice cream too, Molly sighed. I might forgive you then. Maybe. As long as they have cherries. How magnanimous of you, Molly chuckled. I really did miss you, you know. Hmm. As they returned to the dark, quiet hallway, Molly let go of Poot's hand. With another snicker, she poked the dead gremlin. A strange, relieved look flashed across its face as the high-pitched whine of escaping gas emerged from it. Not another one! A panicked guard shouted from behind them. Bye, Poot! Molly called over her shoulder as she hustled through the broken door after Archie, leaving behind a small explosion and a rancid odour. Slow down, Philip complained. You're bouncing me all over the place. I'm getting a little dizzy. I'm a person, not some meat parcel. Really, I missed you, Molly asserted, not sure whether she was trying to reassure Philip or herself. Yeah, sure. Let's go get that ice cream, the head replied, with a hint of a smile on his face. The room was dark and cold and damp. A lonely light hung on the ceiling, pointed down onto a disemboweled corpse spread out on top of a worn kitchen table. Its throat and stomach were held open by surgical clamps. A bucket full of entrails and organs sat beside it. Dr. McMorning leaned over the cadaver with a wide grin on his face, his hands deep into the corpse. He pulled out its intestines and held up the cord, then squinted. Light found its way through most of the tissue, all except for a fist-sized blot. After a quick incision, McMorning pulled out the blockage. The object jangled like metal, slapping against metal. They're always in the last place you look. <laughs> he was unable to hold in his excitement. That's one way to make sure you don't lose your keys. Sebastian? Sebastian? Where did that little bubble of snot get... Sebastian was standing beside the doctor, possibly for hours, with a newspaper in his hand. He looked equally as excited, but it wasn't because he wanted to find out which lock those keys opened. Oh, there you are. Where have you been? Hmm. I've been looking all over for you. You knew that I needed help installing those new bile ducts. Do something with this, will you? He tossed Sebastian the keyring. It slapped against the newspaper and dropped to the floor. Sebastian eagerly placed the newspaper on the one section of the kitchen table that wasn't covered in blood, opened to the third page, and pointed to an article. Smart thinking, Sebastian. A sterile environment is important, especially with our mobile operation. Dr. McMorning made a final incision pulled out the intestines, and was about to place them on top of the newspaper, but the headline beneath Sebastian's finger caught his eye. 
He dropped the intestines on the floor instead and picked up the newspaper off the table. A parade? For me? Huh? His eyes scanned the article. I've always said that successful surgery is cause for celebration, but this... He reread the article. It is. By my own creations, too. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice, Sebastian? Oh, yes, very nice, sir. He nodded to himself and smiled. How did they get out of the lab on their own, he wondered, then turned back to Sebastian. Why didn't you tell me about this sooner? Found it on a stoop, read it with my morning biscuit, thought you might like it. McMorning's eyes widened. You can read! Remarkable! Today is full of surprises. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.